Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Joni from Columbus, Ohio, and I recommend 3C Body Shop. Nobody wants to go back twice in one year for accident repairs. But after my first experience with 3C, it made perfect sense for me. 3C worked with my insurance and everything was handled perfectly. I'd recommend 3C to my friends, my family, and anyone that has been in an accident. 3C Body Shop, the finest in collision repair. This is Prospect Ricky Unasco, and you're listening to the Ranger Report podcast. Whoa, Ranger Report. Oh, Ranger Report. If you want the inside scoop, Listen to the Ranger Report. Alright, yeah, here we go. This is the Ranger Report Podcast. News, insights, predictions, interviews, and information about the Texas Rangers from the major leagues to the minor leagues. And now, here are your hosts. Ben Dieter and CJ Berryman. Experience the joy of watching your friends and family's faces light up when you feed them wild game you harvested and made them delicious sausages. Or meat you barbecue and grill with the finest seasonings available. Visit our friends at Waltons.com to find everything you need to turn wild game into tasty meat snacks or spice up your barbecue with new flavors and seasonings. With over 500 seasonings to choose from, there's something that everyone will love. They even have step-by-step videos and how-to articles at Beachistics to help you go from animal to edible. Use coupon RANGERS15 at checkout to save 15% on your first order at Waltons.com. Waltons, everything but the meat. All right, everybody, welcome to the Ranger Report 
podcast brought to you by Dallas Sports Nation and also by Walton's Everything But The Meat. We are proud to be joined today by Dallas Cowboys play-by-play man, Brad Sham. Brad, how are you, sir? Hall of Famer. Thank you, CJ. It's good to be with both of you guys. It's good to have you on, sir. It's great to see. I mean, I hear your voice so often. It's It's kind of fun to actually see you talking now. Yeah, it's really not very exciting. But, uh, <laughs> well, that's the kind of life you're living, Ben. Then, well, you know, that's why we do an online. That's why we do a podcast and not a video show. So. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want to start off. I know you've been friends with them forever. You spent some time working with Eric Nadell when you covered the Rangers. Uh, what What was it like working with him on a day to day basis? Well, it was a treat. We have been friends forever. We met in the '70s when uh, I was just trying to find my way, and Eric was doing minor league hockey. And if you think he's good doing baseball, you ought to hear him do hockey. He could he could walk right into it today. And so uh, a bunch of circumstances obtained, and they were looking for someone to work with Eric. Mark Holtz had to move to TV, and Eric and I had known each other forever. He knows how I feel about baseball, and it worked out. And so, um, so it, it was a, literally a dream come true for me because when I was a, a – middling teenager and trying to decide what I was going to do with my life. Uh, what I really wanted to be was a baseball announcer. And this was my opportunity because at that point in my career, uh, I had done a lot of things and I'd done a little baseball, but I hadn't done it on a regular basis. And I wasn't going to get hired as a major league announcer in any other circumstances other than the station, which was KRLD at the time needed some local identification because they were switching stations after many, many years on WBAP. And it was going to be a little bit of a shock to the system of a lot of Ranger fans. And so I had name identification in town. So it gave me an opportunity to do something that I had literally wanted to do since I was a a young person. And I learned so much. I, I loved traveling with him and and I learned more about doing play by play from him than I can even begin to recount and I say it all the time Ben what I I tell audiences every chance I get I'm a better football announcer today because of the opportunities that I've had to be exposed to Eric Nadell doing baseball play by play is play by play and I learn from him now I turn on the radio and and I hear him now and he makes me better so it was it was literally a dream come true that's awesome so you called during a strange time in rangers era you called uh you called some games when they had replacement players in major league baseball was it a lot harder to repair what was it like doing games with replacement players well that was the first year i was on the job and i had been through it with the cowboys in the nfl so I went to spring training with the replacement players, and I knew how to prepare to learn replacement players. I knew how to research them. I knew how to get to know them. I knew how to tell their stories because I'd done it with the Cowboys in 87. That was in 94. And we were in spring training, I don't know, a couple of weeks, and then came back getting ready to open the season. And then they then they settled the strike. And we had to go back and have another spring training. I'm, I'm not sure that the replacements ever played any games, but but they sure practiced to, they prepared to, and it was, I'm not going to tell you it was the easiest thing in the world, but it, it, I had, I had experience doing some of that stuff. So I felt like I was ready to do that. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And then uh, what, what were some of your favorite memories of your few years calling the Rangers? You, you actually got to call their very first time being in the playoffs as well. Yes. Thank you for reading my mind. I like to put out that, uh, and I was at the Rangers first ever game. I was a reporter for another little radio station in Dallas. And I was there the night David Clyde started uh, the very first game, uh, his very first game. And I was there the night of their first game at the old turnpike stadium. And uh, so I do like to remind people that, um, they never made the playoffs till I got in the booth. <laughs> it was, it was thrilling, you know, in 94, 95, they came close. They took the season into maybe September, but certainly late August. And when you're, when you're a baseball fan and especially one who's a little parched, that that's good. Yeah. And as an announcer following a team every day, that's really all you can ask for. And then in 96, they they make the playoffs for the first time and playoff game, Ranger playoff game I did was at old Yankee Stadium. Now, how are you going to get better than that? <laughs> that's when Juan Gonzalez went off in that game one, too. He did. Yeah. And this, I mean, it was a fun team to be around. It was a fun team to watch. I I still have a bat somewhere in my office here. With my favorite guy, I mean, obviously Pudge was exceptional and Juan was a tremendous player, but the guys that I had asked to sign that bat, I'll have to find it sometime soon. Guys like Rusty Greer and Mickey Tettleton and Mark McLemore and Will Clark, Billy Ripken, those lunch bucket blood and guts guys were the ones Dave Valley, who was a, a really Dave Valley backup catcher, yeah, backup catcher, but he was the conscience of the team, and so it was just great being around that team and seeing their success and seeing them make it to the playoffs. It's disappointing when you lose in the playoffs, but I have a little experience with that too, <laughs> just a little, <laughs> and, and 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 I really believe that the I believe in the journey, and and I and I say this all the time. I'm a native of Chicago. My mother made me a Cub fan. I'm still a Cub fan. And being a lifelong Cubs fan has taught me that I am not in any of this for the winning. (laughs) (laughs) I am literally, because if that's what you're in it for, you're going to have nothing but disappointment. (laughs) And, And when I look back at 95 and 96, especially 96, now 97, the third year and the last year that I did the Rangers, they fell out of the race a little bit. They took it through July, and then they started trading pieces off. But in that in that 96 season, you know, it was the step-by-step when you realize, everybody starts off hoping, and at some point you realize that you can, you're, you might be somewhat safe turning those hopes into mild expectations as long as you can just manage them. And, and then you get close to it and you see the buildup and you feel the team every day and you see what they're about and how the work they're putting into it. And so making the playoffs is a tremendous reward, especially in a season like a baseball season. And yeah, it, everybody wants to win the World Series. But there's only one team that's happy at the end of the year, and that doesn't mean there's only one team that's been successful. So that being on that, being around that playoff team was a joy. It's one of the one of the great years of my life. Awesome. All right. Well, 
I know you call, you've called both and you've called more, I'm sure, but what, what are the major differences you saw between calling baseball and calling football? Well, I think that I still think that uh, baseball is the hardest sport to do well because you have to have a different pace. Eric's pace is perfect for it. And you also have to have the ability to go from zero to 60 in two seconds because nothing's happening and nothing's happening and nothing's happening and all hell breaks loose. It's the only sport that does not automatically stop after a score. So you have to teach yourself. If you've got runners at first and second, the guy on second scores, you know, no one's throwing the ball back in or stopping for a kickoff or going for a faceoff because the guy on first is still running. <laughs> and you have to be on top of who the fielders are and where the guy is and what the coaches are doing and keep everything in context. And it's, it's not that it's heavy lifting. It's not that it's that hard to do, but it requires great focus and concentration when it, when the action hasn't been like that all the time, you know, exactly what the rhythm of a football game is. You know, what's going to happen on a play. You don't know the outcome of the play, but you know that there's going to be a snap and there's going to be some motion. There's going to be blocking and tackling and something's going to happen at the end of that. And then we're going to stop and come back and do it all over again. And baseball is not like that. The, the, one of the things that made me fall in love with baseball was the battle between the pitcher and the batter. And I'm fascinated to this day by what pitchers are able to do, grip, arm slot, velocity, different kinds of pitches, and how hitters can try to react to that and how a pitcher might pitch a guy one way in the second inning and and he pitched him that way partly because of what the game situation was but partly because he has no intention of pitching him that way in the fifth inning he's going to pitch him a different way and then the pitcher's got to remember that that guy did this on these pitches and the hitter's got to remember when he comes back up i'll never forget being at wrigley field when the when the cubs acquired rizzo from the padres and brought him up and uh, they didn't have anything else but it, it was fascinating to watch him, what, watch how the pitcher pitched him early in the game and how he adjusted to those same pitches the second time up and the third time up, different pitchers, same kinds of pitches, and he had a completely different result. That's a little microcosm. That happens all the time. Yeah. And the Rangers have had some great ones about that. So, so in baseball, you, you have to be mindful of all of that. You have to adjust to all of that stuff going on. And then with what Eric and Matt do now, and Eric and I did for three years, unlike on television, you have to let them smell the popcorn. You have to let them hear the chatter in the outfield. You have to let them feel the sunshine beating down on them. You, you're all five senses on the radio, and that's a great challenge, and it's one that I really love. And uh, in then the then the thing that's difficult about baseball, or at least challenging, is to be that storyteller, weave in at an easy pace. You cannot do baseball at the same pace you do basketball or hockey. So you're doing baseball at a baseball pace. And you're telling stories and you're relating to things that happened elsewhere in the league, 
last night and other things that you've seen and real life, you know, one of the things that Eric and Matt do so well is talk about music and movies and, but that's part of it. That's part of the beauty of doing baseball. It's harder to do that in football. And it's just more challenging, I think, in baseball to keep that narrative going at exactly the right pace. Yeah, Eric on this podcast told told us that he and Matt he actually got that from from Holt's diversionary tactics. You know, if it's a eight one game in the sixth inning and you know that nothing's going well, you got to find a way to to continue to to have the listener listen in. And and I think he's the best at it. That's why he's a Hall of Famer too. I mean, well, there's exactly right. games there's games where it's ten one and. You know, I'm going to bed, but I still have the radio on, you know, just listening right. to, to some of the because stuff. Because you're a Ranger fan, and Eric right. knows, as I do, that no one's turning on the radio to hear us. Now, we may – you, Eric may make you enjoy the game more. You may be glad that Eric's the guy who's telling you the story. But you didn't turn the radio on to hear Eric. You turned the radio on to hear the Rangers. And I know that when I'm doing a Cowboy game, nobody turned it on to listen to me. They're, they might – I hope they're happy that – I'm doing it. Maybe I can enhance their enjoyment of it, but they turned on the radio to hear how the Cowboys are doing. And and so if you can remember that, then you know how to keep your audience involved in those circumstances, CJ, that you're talking about, because they're coming. They are coming. Those games, when you play 162 of them now, those (laughs) games are coming. You hope that they don't turn into months. No, it did. It did a couple times last year. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I grew up a I grew up a Denver Broncos fan, but we'd be remiss not to have uh, some football talk with you on. So I'm going to turn it over to CJ, who's a big Cowboys fan, to ask you some questions. All right. I'm, I'm sure you were waiting for me to ask some questions, right, Brad? <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for whatever you guys think you got. Oh, and we appreciate it so much. So uh, the way I look at it is is with the Cowboys, it's been. 26 years of futility. Haven't played in an NFC championship game since Moby Dick was a minnow. How difficult is that during this drought of not playing in a conference title game? How how has it been on you and how has it been on Babe? Did you uh, hear anything that I just said a few minutes ago? (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to win a football game in the NFL. Yes, it is. hard to win a game. Now, I'm not saying that it's acceptable to go that long a period of time without playing in a conference championship or winning a Super Bowl. It's not acceptable to them either. And they know that. I I push back at the notion that it's been 26 years of futility. And I think this last season's a great microcosm of that. There's not a soul who follows the Dallas Cowboys who was pleased on uh, January 16th. Everybody went home unhappy. Everybody was mad at everything. Fire them all and kill the ones you can't fire. (laughs) And none of those people were saying that in October when they were six and one. Now, you can't have a season with those up. You're not going to have ups without downs. If you didn't have downs, how would you know what up was? And you cannot have a season with that many highlights, that many pleasurable moments, and call it futile, in my opinion. You can call it frustrating. You can call it disappointing. But I push back at futility because it was not futility. I really think that one of the problems with our society is that we have um, 
trained ourselves to only see success in the team that held up the trophy at the end of the year. Now you go tell the Cincinnati Bengals they didn't have a good year. Oh, no. <laughs> go, tell, go tell the San Francisco 49ers they didn't have a good year. Right. Kansas yeah. City Chiefs. Yeah. But there's only one team holding up the trophy. And I maintain that's not the only team that had a good year. So what's it been like? It's been an absolute thrill and a privilege to be able to tell the story of these teams through these years. And it can be that and still be frustrating and disappointing. Those, those are not so contradictory that they can't exist in the same sentence. You know, Babe played for a long time with a bunch of teams, and he really understands it. You ask what's it like for him, and, and he understands what they go through and how difficult it is to win. We're as disappointed as anyone else when things don't go well. But I, I roundly reject the notion that it's abject failure, it's total failure, it's not. Well, then you know what? Don't bother me with questions in training camp. Don't bother me <laughs> in September and October. If all you're there for is the playoffs, don't watch and don't tweet me and then watch the playoffs and feel however you want to feel. That's not what the season's all about. These things are about, whether it's baseball or football, these things are about sacrifice, shared experience, accountability, responsibility, learning how to win, learning how to lose, what to do with that disappointment. Those are the great lessons that make, to me, that make all of this stuff rich, whatever the sport. And that's why I really like team sports. And, and there's so much to be gained even from disappointing years. So yeah, I would have loved to have done that game in LA, but maybe next year. And I'm, I'm lucky that I've done four and seen them win three of them. Now, you know, Eric, Eric can't say, I know how <laughs> Eric and I usually have lunch on a regular basis. And, and, and the year after they lost to the Cardinals, we were having lunch just before he went to spring training. And he said, I'm still not sure how I'm going to look at Nelson Cruz. <laughs> and I get it. I understand. Yeah. So my counter to him was, if I told you three years ago that you were going to do the next two World Series, what would you have said? He said, I'd have been thrilled. So, well, that's what you just did. <laughs> so so you, you, just have to, you just have to learn that it's about the journey and it's about the preparation and it's about enjoying these games every day. These are artists and they're, they're truly gifted to be able to hit a ball or throw a ball or do the things they do. And we get to tell their stories. Now, what can be bad about that? No, nothing. And, and my contention is, is being a lifelong. I, I was a Cowboys fan and a Rangers fan since conception. So, um, it, so this, I don't have any this, questions that I feel it's appropriate to ask you. About. <laughs> <laughs> so before the season started, me and one of my best friends had lunch and we were talking about the upcoming Cowboys season. And he was like, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling more level now. Cause we, you know, we would get so excited, you know, and then just have that. It just felt like a letdown you know, in the playoffs, you know, the 13 and three season in 2007, and then the 13 and three season in 2015. And, and then just bam, it just comes crashing. And I'm like, I'm not, you know, I'm trying to stay here. 
And even though, you know, when they were six and one, I was like, no game, a game at a time, you know, a game at a time. I'm not, I'm not going to go, Oh, we're going to win the Super Bowl. No, stay right here. Stay level because it's easier to fall from here than it is from here. Still going to hurt. Still going to yeah. be. Disappointed oh yeah. <laughs> at the end. I mean, that's part of the human experience. Uh-huh. And, and then, you know, if you're fortunate, Every once in a while, you get to enjoy what what the Rams fans are right now, and the year the Bengals fans had. Bengals fans wouldn't trade that year for anything. Did they no. want to win? Darn right they did, but they wouldn't trade that year for anything. And we'll see what the Cowboys team looks like next year. They've got a lot of things to go through to put their roster together, but I bet they'll be competitive. And if fans don't want to believe in them, that's fine. But to me, if you don't just accept the journey and enjoy all the emotions, the highs and the lows. If you don't do that, you're cheating yourself. You're the only one you're cheating out of experiencing everything that goes along with being a sports fan. All right. Well, so let's, let's talk about what some of your favorite teams to cover. I mean, I know there's a lot of them, but uh, which one would you say, which team or teams were your favorite to cover? Cowboy teams? Yes. You know, the first thing that jumps to mind, which is usually what you ought to say, is 92 because I was, like, I'm still really good friends with most of those guys. And so I was an age of where I was like an older brother. I saw what they went through. Uh, Michael Irvin came in 88. And, and Aikman and uh, Stepnoski and Johnston and Norton and Tolbert and a bunch of them came in 89. And then Emmett came in 90. And the ones who were here in 88, 89, first half of 90, I saw what they went through. And I saw the price they paid physically and emotionally. So to see them get the enjoyment of coming all the way back to a place where no one thought they would that year. Uh, that is really special. And the day in Pasadena was the most spectacular day I think I've ever seen. I, I remember being on the field. I remember it, and I was eight years old. I yeah, was eight years old. <laughs> it must have been three or four hours before the game, a little earlier than usual. And I was out there and, and there's still dew on the grass and the mountains are in the background and the sun is shining warm. And I mean, it's just a picture postcard. I mean, only God could do that. And it was remarkable just to be there and to, just to a, a, appreciate what they had to go through to get to that point. And then if you recall, the game started just awful. And it was then bad. Yeah. Started taking the ball away and turned into a route. But for the year to see what those guys went through and to be really good friends with a lot of them, to to understand what it meant to them to have paid that price and get to there, that's probably why 92 would be my favorite. Now, there were some in the late 70s. I started in 76, middle of the year. And some of those teams were, they were, the whole culture was different. Society was different. The rules of the game were different, but those guys were a lot of fun to be around. And I'm still really good friends with a lot of them to this day. And some of those, some of those guys from the 77 championship team, 78 team went to the Super Bowl. And 
those those were some really unusual special guys and I, I loved them too but I'd probably pick 92. Yeah and, and you're talking about that Super Bowl in Pasadena the, the most beautiful clip that I think is still out there well it is still out there but I think you can't get better than that the Troy Aikman touchdown pass to Michael Irvin to end the first half where he kicked his leg out to kind of shield I think it was Nate Odom's Think so. um, and you, you know, Troy throws the ball. It's a perfect spiral and you see the mountains in the background and then Irvin <laughs> comes down with it and turns and hits the pylon. The most beautiful play I've ever seen in my life. Well, it's not my favorite play in 43 years, but it, it was a very good, my favorite play in 43 years was in 1979 last game of the regular season. They're playing Washington at Texas stadium. The winner is going to this is oh, football is this, game. I ever is this saw a Tony, Tony Hill play. Yeah, but it's not the Tony Hill play because they they won they win the game to win the East and Washington winds up losing their playoff spot because of other things that happened. But they they have injuries. Dorsett didn't play. Drew Pearson was hurt. They're down by six with no timeouts right around the two minute warning, and Washington has the ball near their own twenty, about third and five. And all Washington's got to do is make a first down. Game's over. Dallas out of timeouts. And John Riggins had gone around the end for 66 yards on a sweep earlier in the game. They ran the same play. And Larry Cole, one of my very favorite all-time Cowboys, a lot of folks listening and watching right now don't know who the heck he is. He just wrote a book about his days as a Cowboy. You can Google him, Larry Cole. He was smart and slow. And big, he was about the whitest white man I ever saw. <laughs> and and he couldn't, and he certainly couldn't outrun Riggins, who had world-class sprinter speed. But when when Theisman took the snap and turned to pitch the ball to Riggins, Larry was so smart that he diagnosed the play from the from the time Riggins went in motion. And Cole ran through everyone untouched and got to Riggins and threw him for a loss. Now they've got to punt the ball away. Staubach gets it back. Bip, 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 bip. Down the field, Preston Pearson, Tony Hill, Billy Joe Dupree. And then with two seconds left, ties the game with the touchdown pass to Hill and the extra point wins the game. The Larry Cole play to throw Riggins for a loss when if they make a first down, the game's over. That's my favorite play in 43 years. Well, I was about to ask you which player not of the triplets was one of your favorites to cover. I guess you just answered that. Well, yeah. I mean, look, I loved a lot of those guys. And, you know, those guys, I came in in the same age as them. But I, I will tell you, CJ, that I, I tell people this all the time. Don't I, I would hate. I hate it when people ask me, who's your favorite player? I'm really close friends with some of them still to this day. And usually if it's a grown-up who says, who's your all-time favorite player? I say, how many children do you have? (laughs) (laughs) One. I got one. One guy that I always say I would have paid to watch was Randy White. Because Randy Randy White practiced like he played and he could, he created havoc like very few others. And I will tell you that Micah Parsons is, he, he has taken up residence in the neighborhood. He's just down the block and he's about a year or two more like the one he just had away from moving right next door to Randy White in my, my pantheon of guys I'd pay to see. 
Yeah. And then, yeah, I, I love the story. <laughs> it, it just cracks me up. Randy White and Hollywood Henderson, quote unquote, fight in the locker room. Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> oh, you saw oh, You were there. I was there. Okay. So, yeah. yeah Thomas, Holly- Thomas, got under, Thomas got under Randy's skin a little bit. It was after practice. Or maybe it was before practice, but they were they were they, it was right around that time, and Randy picked him up and planted him in a locker, and those lockers <laughs> weren't very big. <laughs> That's great. And then Hollywood, he he's on you know the NFL films, Dallas Cowboys, you know Super Bowl deals, and he talks about that. He's like, I got my ass whooped by Randy. What? <laughs> well, he's not lying. <laughs> he's not lying. He, he about got his anatomy rearranged. <laughs> I will. We're wrapping it up, Brad. Thank you again. But before we let you go, we always ask our guests one question at the end. And is what is your go-to at? My go-to at Whataburger, you know, if I just had one thing, it might be the fries. Might be the fries. There's a lot of those burgers that are real good. Yep. I'd be I'd be hard pressed to pick between but those fries. Now, if they said you can have one thing and one thing only, might be that. <laughs> Emily, Emily Jones pretty much said the same thing. Yeah, yeah I'd heard it the only other day. Yeah. If, if Emily said it, then I'm <laughs> in very good company. And then I'm that means I'm right. <laughs> You're I'm always not, right. Sir. I'm not gonna argue with that. No. Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining us today. We really do appreciate it. Thank you guys. I've enjoyed being with you. Thanks for listening to the Ranger Report Podcast. Find us on Twitter. Facebook and at the rangerreport.com.